on to our second speaker, which is Phoebe Lewis. Yes. And Phoebe is a PhD student from RMIT University who is studying the effects of persistent organic pollutants, otherwise known as POPs or POPs, yeah, um, and plastic in the Antarctic seabirds. She has just completed her first Antarctic field season last summer and is slightly obsessed with anything polar. Welcome, Phoebe. happening in the world lately. Um, so in light of that, I thought tonight that I might share with you um, the most depressing book I've ever read. So this book is called Our Stolen Future and it's described as a scientific detective story that led to um, the theory of hormone disruption or endocrine disruption. So it was originally published in 1996 um, and it documents the research by this amazing American scientist, Theo Colburn. So the book was hailed as um, a sequel to Rachel Carson's Silent Spring. So I have a bit of an environmental science background and that's basically the Bible. Um, Silent Spring was published in the 60s and it documented the detrimental effects um, of indiscriminate pesticide spraying that we did. Uh, so Carson reported on birds ingesting this type of pesticide called DDT. It was widely used everywhere to control insects. Um, these birds were really heavily affected so if they weren't dead, they tended to lay really thin-shelled eggs, so that would break prematurely in the nest, and so it resulted in these huge population declines, around, uh, mostly in the States, but um, the problem drove a lot of bird species, especially uh, the bald eagle and the peregrine falcon, to almost the brink of extinction. So they went from like full capacity to about 80% decline in a really short period of time. So the book was sort of revolutionary and it led, eventually led to the ban of DDT and also the formulation of the Environmental Protection Agency or EPA in the United States. Um, and I have to note that while most countries did officially ban DDT, um, it's still used in a number of countries today. So anyway, our stolen future takes up where Carson left off about 40 years ago and describes a journey that Colburn herself undertook um, that led her to synthesise this theory of these low-dose man-made synthetic chemicals are disrupting both animals and our own hormonal systems. So hormones are critical for, the de uh, for sexual development and it's over a decade since the book was published and we're only just now beginning to understand how critical they actually are to all sorts of things in our systems, including behavioural development, intelligence, the functioning of our immune system. So, mates, trust me, this book is heavy. Uh, so, <laughs> the book starts uh, with Thea's job after her PhD that she obtained when she was 58, but I'll come back to that later. So in the late 80s, she started as a scientist um, on a project whose aim was to assess the environmental health of the Great Lakes. So these lakes are in North America. They're on the border with the US and Canada. Um, and they're connected by a series of rivers. So in the late 60s, there wasn't a whole lot of rules governing what kind of industry could discharge what into um, rivers, because outside, the bin that never gets full, am I right? So <laughs> eventually, the pollution entering the lakes got so bad that a river actually caught on fire and ended up burning down a bridge. So that seemed a little unusual, um, and government state, uh, the state government decided, all right, we've got to do something about this. Um, so by the time Theo stepped into her role in the 80s, 
um, they were touting really significant signs of recovery. And the, the, also the ban in DDT was linked to the positivity as well because all these bird populations were starting to flourish, especially the bald eagle, which is the United States emblem, so they really cared about that. So Theo's role was to originally focus on the patterns of environmental contamination in the region and see if it linked to any incidences of cancer, both in animals and people. Um, so what she describes in the book of the amount of paperwork that she had to go through is absolutely full on. So this is just before computers were invented and also a world without EndNote, if you could possibly imagine such a thing. So she's receiving so much literature and government reports every day on a daily basis that she ended up closing the door to her office just permanently to try and stem the tide. But it turned out that her project director was some kind of mad frisbee champion and started flicking all the pages underneath the door. So she was just getting hammered all the time. Um, when I read this, I sort of thought of the first Harry Potter book when he gets accepted to Hogwarts and they're trying to send the letter to him. So yeah, I'm sure you'll think the same when you read it. <laughs> Anyway, after months of this literature immersion therapy, she started to think that these claims of recovery of the Great Lakes system were a little bit um, premature. And while the DDT era, like era, there, was, um, there were lots of dead birds and broken shells around, so th those signs were missing, which I think was why everybody was feeling really positive. But there was also something really weird going on. She had all these reports of these bird behaviour, they were disinterested in mating, they had the water birds had these really weird deformities like club feet and missing eyes and the birds that did breed, the nesting ones were not really interested in their eggs when normally they would just be those ones that would go pretty nuts if you get too close to them. Um, so she wasn't really sure what was going on but uh, she knew there was something. In the meantime, other scientists within the program um, were having really good success directly linking cancerous tumours in fish to the pollution in the area. So Thea turned to the human ca um, cancer registries uh, to see if she could find what was going on because she was thinking the wildlife is providing the warnings, so we're going to start seeing these sort of cancer clusters in humans. So after months and months and months of looking through all these awful cancer registries, she even expanded the search to the United, like the full United States and Canada to see if there was anything there, but she couldn't even find more broadly the support of the belief that people near the Great Lakes had higher incidences of cancer than anyone else. Um, and so she's still surrounded by boxes and boxes of all these animal studies, and she's just really puzzled at this stage. So if it wasn't cancer, then what could it be? And in efforts to see the bigger picture, she went back to her literature and started a handwritten, no computers remember, matrix. Um, and had this mad crazy matrix and she had these subject headings like population decline, behavioural changes, reproductive effects, the list goes on and she's documenting all of these reports and studies that focused on all of these. Now it sounds a little bit weird to us now but you have to remember in this, in this day and age, the only way that they tested chemicals before they released them to the environment was either high dose mortality, so it was like really high doses, at this dose this is when they die, or if it caused cancer. So there was just no thought of hormones or what any kind of low doses would do. So I'm going to leave it here, I'll leave Theo in her office for a second, and I'd like to change tracks completely, and um, I would like to introduce you, we're going to go back in time, and I'm going to introduce you to a class of chemicals known as PCBs, or polychlorinated biphenyls. So PCBs were originally introduced to the world in 1929, and they were the first big, worldwide, commercially successful, synthetic, man-made chemical products ever, pretty much. So they were produced for these properties, they're super persistent, built to last, 
um, non-flammable and really thermally stable, which meant they could take really high temperatures and they didn't degrade and they were just like amazing. Um, so Mon Monsanto Chemical Company in Alabama, which is not near the Great Lakes, uh, began producing huge amounts of PCBs uh, by heating this massive mixture of biphenyl and bubbling chlorine gas through it. So sorry, I got kind of technical there. Um, but this was this <laughs> system that was not entirely enclosed. And when you've got heat anywhere, you're going to have sort of like things rising. So things were leaching out and, um, you know, the chemicals weren't staying where they were. So this PCB mixture was marketed as uh, Arrowclaw, I think, I don't know how to pronounce it, but that was the trade name. And it, it consisted of a mixture, they have 209 different PCB formations, which had come under one class called PCBs. And so due to their amazing persistence and non-flammability, they were widely used in the electrical industry in the 30s. Um, they started, it just took off, like everyone went nuts. So they were used as cooling compounds and transformers, lubricants and hydraulic fluids. And they also made wood, uh, they, made it in, they made wood and plastics non-flammable, so they made their way into households. And very soon there were additives in household pesticide spraying thingies and paints and even some cosmetics. So by the early 60s, um, they were also in those carbonless, you know, the receipt booky things with the carbonless copy paper. So before photocopiers, the uh, secretaries and things made copies using this paper and that had PCBs in it then. Uh, so, and it wasn't until after the 1960s, after Silent Spring came out and after DDT had come and gone in the spotlight, that the PCB-wide contamination, like worldwide contamination, was discovered by happy accident. And by happy accident, I mean when you've been at the coast for a week and you get home and you see like three or four ants and you kind of follow them and then you open the pantry and they're freaking everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> this Swedish analytical chemist named Søren Jensen kept accounting for these mysterious peaks in his chromatography. He, had, he was always looking for DDT and wildlife and different environmental matrices, but he just had these weird peaks like all the time. Um, yeah, so he had a Swedish environment, surrounding seas, even hair samples taken from his wife and daughter. He just did not know what these were. Um, so then he managed to get a hold of a bunch of different man-made chemicals uh, from a chem like sort of on the DL because the chemical com companies weren't really happy to just hand stuff over. So I think a friend of his passed on to him these PCB, a sample of those. And yeah, so he took him two years further to determine that those secret peaks that he was seeing were PCBs and then he released his research and all of a sudden scientists everywhere were finding these things in freaking everything, like absolutely everything. So they began, oh sorry, they began, <laughs> they began being produced in Alabama but they ended up everywhere, in particular they were in polar regions and like, I just can't stress that nobody knew about their behavioural, like, their environment, sorry, their behaviour within the environment. And even at that stage when they started to find them everywhere, it took another 10 years before they banned production of them. And then even then the things that already contained them weren't phased out. And, like, this is, like, I don't even know how many years yet later, but PCBs are still a really big issue. Um, so, anyway, we're going to get back... So at this stage, PCBs got banned. This was in the late 70s, and we're going to head back to Theo in her office with her um, matrix. And then she, thank God, got a hold of a computer and thanks Excel in her book. So she goes back to her matrix in Excel, and she immediately noticed after she entered in all this data that particular species that sat on top of the food chain um, 
uh, sorry, all showed PCB contamination. And so I'm saying contamination, but these are still really small trace amounts of contamination. So it's in parts per billion, which is really, in, really tiny. Um, so in the Great Lakes, they knew there was PCBs in the water, but the, the concentration was too low to measure. But they were finding fish species were showing slightly higher, and then those animals that are eating the fish higher and higher and higher. So all of a sudden, she's finding that you're getting ex exponential like accumulation through the food chain. And so the other fact that was not so obvious after she spent a long time with this spreadsheet um, was that the, while the adults appeared to be fine, all these weird health problems that I mentioned earlier um, were found primarily in the offspring. So these are all cases of derailed development, which is guided to a significant extent by hormones. So maybe this could be um, linked to the disruption of the endocrine system. This is what she started thinking. So at the time, this conclusion was met with a huge amount of scepticism. So previous reviews and testing done by manufacturers and government agencies had focused um, yeah, largely on whether a chemical might cause cancer, as I said, and not what low doses might do to development over time. Um, so she credited her mixed background in pharmacology and ecology that led her on, undeterred by haters, um, into, this <laughs> into this frenzy of research that ended up with analysis of tissues and sent gonads flying all over the US. But that was her quote, not mine. <laughs> so at this point, I'd like to give you a little bit of background about Theo herself. So Theodora Decker was originally um, finished her first university degree in pharmacy and married a classmate, Harry, in 1947. So they moved to Colorado to run a sheep farm and a um, family pharmacy while she raised four children. And at the time, she really, she loved bird watching and being outside, which led her to be drawn into this growing environmental movement, um, particularly after the silent spring happened. So she was, however, really frustrated by these opponents who would always dismiss her as this do-gooder little old lady in tennis shoes, even though she was tall, middle-aged and wore cowboy boots. So in her early 50s, she headed back to uni to complete a master's degree in ecology, and finally she finished her PhD in zoology in 58, uh, as she was when she turned 58, which I, was just amazing. So since the release, since then, she was just on this upward tra trajectory. So since the release of her book, Monsanto and other chemical companies have criticised her really heavily in the media. But I guess those type of companies, um, when they pub publicly insist you've done something wrong, and they actually like. I acknowledge you, then you definitely must be on the right track. And then, by then, Theo had been appointed a senior scientist at the World Wildlife Fund and also had created TEDx, which is not TED Talks. I lost half a day on that. It is <laughs> the Endocrine Disruption Exchange. <laughs> so TEDx is this central online system that is like really, it disseminates information about suspected um, endocrine disrupting chemicals. And most recently was this key player in um, BPA. So BPA got removed from like consumable plastics because it mimics um, hormones. Yeah, so before her death in 2014, Theo warned of the unknown effects of mixtures of these classes of chemicals. So she had just gotten everybody to start looking at low dose effects of single classes of chemicals. But now we're like, we're getting hammered by chemicals on all sides. So she, she's warning about what the effects, where the effects of mixtures are completely unknown. So I think currently we're all, first, we're all seeing firsthand the damage, that we can, the damage that can be caused on the world stage by mixing hairspray with too much fake tan. So I think our stolen future and Theo Colburn's huge body of work in such a relatively short time from when she finished her PhD to her death um, sort of 
brings a call to action for both scientists and the government to sort of alert the public on the dangers of just using these mass-produced, synthetically-made chemicals sort of indiscriminately. Thanks. <laughs>